Good day and welcome to our first installment of Sunday Times Politics Weekly. Um, I'm Amil Amro, I'm a journalist at the Sunday Times and I'm joined here this week by my colleagues Kwanita Hunter and Ranjani Munsami. We'll be focusing our first installment on state capture, something that's been in the news for the past four, four or five years, guys, I would say. Um, and the state capture inquiry headed by Raymond Zondo has really been in the limelight in the past two weeks with big um, <clears throat> testimonies by former ministers, MCBC Jonas and former ANC MP, um, Feki Mentor. Um, Kornita, you attended that te- testimony last week. Some of your highlights taken out from Sabisi Jonas's testimony. Well, he was the second witness that came forward. The first witness was William Metabula, who just really, um, you know, didn't um, give much to the commission besides talking about protocol and how things happen in government. But obviously, the focus last week, which is the first week of the hearings, was Mkabisi Jonas, who is, was the former deputy finance minister. And he spoke about um, the story that was obviously publicized when the Sunday Times reported it, it in 2016, about how the Gupta brothers offered him the position of finance minister in lieu of a bribe so that they, he may pass deals in their favor. And I think, Ranjani, we've heard the story a lot before. We heard, the, we heard the chronology of events before. But this was the first time he's really sat down and given such a detailed statement. And I think the devil of, uh, was in the details of Nkabisi Jonas's statement. Yes, you know, in March 2016 was when he spoke out about this incident that had occurred five months prior. And at the time, he made a brief media statement which basically confirmed a Sunday Times report that the Guptas had offered him the the post of minister. Um, and at the time, you know, that, that was, uh, you know, the fact that he came out and confirmed the story was a bombshell in itself. And... Um, and then after that, um, the public prote- former public protector, Tuli Madonsela, then investigated the matter. And in her report, which was released in October 2016, she related her interview with Mkabisi Jonas and what he had told her. And it, it was a consistent version. But since then, he hasn't really spoken publicly. I know I've tried to interview him several times and um, at public events, and he hasn't really been forthcoming. And I think he was waiting for the opportunity uh, to air this properly and on at the right platform and you certainly saw this on Friday um, where he gave a detailed account uh, as to how it came to be that he ended up in the Saxon World compound uh, and what transpired and I think from Kabisi Jonas's uh, experience and what we've uh, heard consequently from a fakey mentor, you get an idea of what it is like to interact with members of the Gupta family. They basically, both of them, took us inside the house. Um, and, you know, most people in our country haven't been in there. Uh, we've never spoken to members of the Gupta family, so we don't know what it's like. And I think that was part of the fascination uh, that, uh, you know, and the reason why South Africa reacted the way it did to Mr. Jonas's testimony. Um, But I think that the most astounding part, or there were two astounding parts for me uh, in his evidence. The one was the death threat, Mm. that if he failed to comply 
with what Mr. Gupta wanted him to do, that they would kill him. Uh, in the lead up to uh, this death threat, they said they had investigated him. They knew everything about him. Uh, and, you know, and then came this astounding uh, threat that if he didn't act according to their wishes, that they would kill him. The second a really mind-blowing aspect of Mr. Jonas's evidence was the the attempt by the Hawks unit um, to squash that case. And he, um, I, I, I think everybody was, was really shocked to hear the circumstances around that because that uh, alleged attempt to squash the case happened in the presence of Mr. Jonas's lawyer. Now, what person in their right mind would uh, try and uh, obstruct the course of justice in the presence of a lawyer? Um, so I think that what we can read from Mr. Jonas's testimony is that the state capture project was so entrenched and people were so convinced that it would last forever that they, they would do such brazen things such as to threaten to kill somebody and attempt, uh, a senior member of the uh, police anti-corruption unit could try and uh, squash this case saying that uh, they couldn't let it proceed because it was a DA matter. They did that because they thought this would never ever uh, be investigated and nobody would be held to account for it. And from the testimony, you, 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 you said the word brazen and it was, you know, it's mind blowing to hear how the, the crassness of this whole situation of mm. how, you know, it, it, it wasn't something in dark corners. It wasn't it wasn't attempts to bribe people in, in, in you know, you know, undercover operations. This, it became so normal almost to just, you know, proceed with the state capture project in a way that uh, they had so much of power and they didn't believe that power was going to cease, and which is why I think um, it just re it continued, even though, you know, it, they probably, um, you know, went to Fakie Mentor and then they could do it to Nkabisi Jonas. Um, they could make similar threats to Tema Maseko, which we'll hear on Wednesday. Um, and so there's almost some consistency in how their murders operandi was. I think, Ranjini, as you, you were talking about an, an insight into the personality of the Gupta, the Gupta family, I think we, we're starting to see that quite a lot. If you look at Jonas's statement, um, as Kwanita said, their brazenness, but also with the way they talk and interact to people. Um, Fakie Mentor did say that they were ex extremely rude to her at one point when when she would not comply. And also the way that they spoke to our president, um, she says in the meeting that they spoke very rudely to Zuma offering him food, just speaking to him like he was some sort of a, another visitor, not even a visitor, um, just another person in their house. Mm -hmm. um, I think that also gives us a very interesting look into who these people are that we've dealt with that we've, over these couple of years. Yeah, I think there's several signals of that. Uh, in Mr. Jonas's evidence, for example, he said that Mr. Gupta asked him, do you think what we're doing is illegal? Now, Obviously, it's illegal. You cannot appoint people and offer them a bribe and think it's not illegal. But this is the altered state of mind of these people that they actually thought that what they were doing was above board and not against the law. When it comes to Miss Mentor's evidence, uh, you could see that she was very disturbed by this particular fact that um, when, she's, when she says when this conversation, this heated conversation was ensuing between her and Mr. Gupta, when he offered her the ministerial position, she said the 
president walked in and although she was on crutches, she stood up because out of courtesy and out of protocol, she stood up. But Mr. Ajay Gupta did not stand up. That was the first signal that he didn't respect the person walking in. She said she, it also upset her greatly, the tone with which he spoke to um, the former president. Uh, she, she says that, you know, he, she, he just asked him if he wanted to eat. And um, Mr. Zuma replied that he was going to go next door to his son Dudezani's house, which is, was within the compound, and he would eat there. And she said she was really disturbed by that, um, the, the tone of Mr. Gupta's voice. Um, and... You know, I've been wondering this past few days um, how it is that Mr. Zuma uh, was not offended by the way the Guptas treated him after hearing Mr. Jonas's evidence. And I think Mr. Jonas reacted the way he did. He was in the Gupta house for about 10 minutes, um, if you if you read his uh, affidavit. And he, half of the conversation was when he was on his feet, already trying to leave. And it's because he was, you could see he was personally repulsed by the treatment and by what Mr. Gupta was saying to him. But you don't get any indication that any point during the, uh, uh, the time that the former president knew the Guptas, that he objected to the treatment. And you saw that right back from the Vatikloff plane landing when they used his name. And he didn't move to disassociate with these people who used his name. Wait, so you've been keeping track of the, pre- the former president's movements for quite some time. What do you think of what Ranjini says about... I think it's quite fascinating what his response would be to to these um, uh, accusations because he's now been directly implicated. For a long time, when we were reporting on on these incidents, it was very difficult to bring state capture to the door of the former president. And with this testimony that we've heard, we've heard Nkabisi Jonas, um, Fakey Mentor, obviously is the first person to directly put Zuma in the room of state capture and then we're going to hear from Temba Maseko who's the f- um, former head of GCIS and then later in the week from the now acting head of uh, government's communication portal GCIS Pumla Williams and so he has a case to answer he needs to answer did he call uh, uh, you know Temba Maseko for example to say help the Guptas did he was he in the room when when Feki Mento raised those concerns with him um, and, and, and that's, you know, a serious pressing issue that he has to deal with. But the bigger issue is how do you allow yourself to be used in that in that way? Um, and secondly, Nkabisi Jonas was not the only person, and Feki Mento was not the only person who, who've detailed this, this attitude, this kind of almost as if, you know, they gave specific instructions to the president and the president was their employee that did what they needed to do, what what he needed to do for them. Um, it was almost as if he was working for the Guptas, his bosses. Um, and, and, and the way that it's it's been playing out and the way that we're hearing the different testimony, it's that relationship um, or is being exposed. How, how the Gupta, Zuma sort of, um, entity worked in the state capture product uh, project rather is being exposed um, in a way that that um, you know the former president probably didn't have a say in many of these uh, instructions that he was received. We when the emails were leaked, there was a lot of stories about people CVs being sent, um, and 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 when when I listened to 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 Jonas and I and I later listened to um, Mentor, it it almost sort of made sense to me that. 
someone can find a CV of someone and then forward it to the president and then that person later becomes A, a senior official or B, a minister. So Ms. Mento did say today that she questioned Mr. Gupta several times as to how he thought he had the authority um, to recommend her as a minister. And she says his response was that we have put word to the president several times. Um, now, you know, if if um, this happened in isolation and you heard Ms. Mentor saying this in isolation of all the political events, it would be quite shocking. But as it turned out, what she was saying is borne out by the events that have happened since 2010. In 2010, 2011, Every cabinet reshuffle that's happened um, under uh, former President Zuma's watch seemed to have had the hand of the Gupstas in it, um, up to the point where the, the 2017 uh, cabinet reshuffle in which uh, Mr. Pravin Gordon and Kabisi Jonas were, were, were fired. Um, and you saw that it went as far as the ANC officials then intervening and speaking out against it because that they at the time knew that the Guptas had something to do with it. So I think you need to see, um, you know, this evidence that's coming out in the context of the actual events that were playing out. Um, because I think a lot of people are relying on the, uh, or, or are judging the, 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 what is happening at the commission in terms of the, the minute detail. So which Gupta brother was it? Um, uh, you know, who called him as mentor. And obviously all those things would need to be established. But an important thing to bear in mind is that this is a discovery process. It's not a court of law. So that is why, for example, the, those who are incriminated in evidence don't have the automatic right to cross-examine. They have to ask the judge. Because basically what's happening is that these witnesses are helping the judge uh, to find out what happened. They are not on trial themselves. Um, but they need to be shown to be credible witnesses. Um, and so this, is, I think, is a very interesting process for our country to go through because at the end of it, what is at stake is our democracy and whether it was under attack. And that is what this judge is trying to establish. He's not trying to establish guilt on anyone's part. He's trying to see how the state capture process fomented. And that is why I think people need to really pay attention. But all those who have evidence or have witnessed should be encouraged to come forward. We're going to be dealing with the state capture inquiry for the next year or two. Corita, who are you most looking forward to hear from? I think all those officials in Treasury, because I think the real, the, I think at the center, sort of the the bull's eye of state capture would have been capturing treasury and there was this sort of push and pull phenomenon that just continued from about 2013 up until um, perhaps earlier this year even um, and and I think that is the, the center of it all that is where the main focus on because if they captured the treasury it was then sort of a done deal then you know um, and so I'm, I'm really really interested in seeing um, officials from treasury come forward um, and, and, and getting a real insider's perspective of some of the public events that we've witnessed and we've written about. Um, just take the firing of Nkata Nene, for example. That was sort of a momentous moment in, in, in the state capture timeline. Um, and so, so, so for me, that, that, that's quite, you know, that's something that I'll be looking forward to. Um, but, you, you know, the, the, the other thing that's, that's really, really, really important in all of this is there are people who who have been sort of 
brought into the state capture um you know debate and, and have been implicated in some ways whether it was trips to dubai or whether it was bank accounts but they haven't really faced the brunt of it they weren't really the ones they weren't your des van royens or your Mosibenzi's one is, but they still are in this current executive and they are still sort of influential players in the ANC. And for me, I would be very interested to see how that unfolds and how those type of people uh, get exposed by a, a, a commission like this. Okay, well, that's, I think that will do it for our first episode. I hope everyone enjoyed that. Um, we've still got a long way to go when it comes to state capture and, un- and, un- and unraveling some of those allegations that have come out. Um, do join us again for our next show next week.